continue worshiping together today, siblings, I invite you to turn in your Bibles or Bible apps to the Gospel according to John, first chapter, beginning with the sixth verse. Let us receive together the Word of God. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Why then are you baptizing, if you were neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, send your spirit to renew the face of the earth. Send your spirit to connect us in your love in all the places we are. Send your spirit so that your word of hope and peace and joy might be received even today. In Jesus' name, amen. November the 4th, 2020 was a Wednesday. It was the day after the election. And since it was a Wednesday, it was the day that I set up my stack of boxes on top of my ottoman in the purple parlor of my home. I ran an Ethernet cable, as I do, from the second floor interwebs box, that's what I call it, down the stairs to plug into my laptop, which is perched on top of the boxes. I rigged the stationary curtain in the picture window behind me with a random rod to provide protection from glare, and then sat on the sofa for a while in the swirl of emotion and thoughts stirred by that particular historical moment. I was in that moment, of course, preparing for my weekly Facebook Live ponderings 
my unscripted midweek message that has become part of my and Foundry's weekly rhythm through the multiple pandemics of 2020. I was having a lot of emotions that day. What I shared was a reminder that our work in the world is the same regardless of who is president, because our God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But what caught me off guard as I began to speak that day, unscripted, just letting it kind of flow, what caught me off guard was the joy that I felt and proclaimed in that moment of deep uncertainty. I was surprised to hear myself proclaim, this is the day that the Lord has made, let's rejoice. Because in addition to uncertainty, I was sitting there among many others feeling deep disappointment and even perhaps, if I'm honest, some despair that so many in our nation had maintained or added their support for a person who, from where I sit, no, for a person whose racism, bullying, narcissism, and ineptitude around not only COVID, but other issues and crises continues to cause damage and are well-documented regardless of how vociferously some claim otherwise. I was sitting in that despair and disappointment and confusion and uncertainty. Now, I share this not as a jab, though it will be received that way. It's not as a jab as to those who disagree with me politically, but I simply am using it as the most visceral and real example of the way that I have experienced Joy's surprising appearance recently. Regardless of where you find yourself politically, there's been pretty widespread distress over the chasm that so starkly divides the people of this nation and as we have just experienced the ongoing vitriol and violence being perpetrated as a result. I felt strange and perhaps guilty that day. Even as the words were coming out of my mouth, I felt perhaps a little guilty proclaiming any message of rejoicing. And yet in my unscripted sermon, it was joy that emerged. Today, as we've said, is the third Sunday of Advent or Gaudete. I'm going to say that wrong. Anthony, I should have checked that out ahead. Gaudete from the Latin Sunday. Rejoice Sunday. Traditionally, the focus is on joy. The pink color of the candle, like I was teaching our children, is the symbol of joy as we draw closer to the birth of Christ. And it seems that every year as this 
Sunday rolls around, the tension between the painful realities in the world and the invitation to joy is so taut that it could snap at any moment. If that's been true in past years, Lord knows it's true in 2020. COVID cases and deaths are surging, just as scientists predicted. Awareness of the U.S. sanctioned executions of imprisoned siblings is once again making headlines as if that atrocity, the atrocity of the death penalty, is a new thing in our land. It is very much not new. The energies of white supremacy continue to roil all around and within us, doing ongoing damage to black and brown siblings in every possible way. More than 10 million persons are unemployed in this nation, even as the gap between rich and poor continues to grow. A tsunami of evictions looms. We see no end in sight for the dog whistling and mobilization of hate groups to stand by. Therapists and pastors and social workers are overrun with folk needing care. So many hearts are lonely and bodies hungry. In the midst of all this and so much more, we're invited to contemplate joy. Notice I did not say to feel joy as if we could manufacture it. As with that moment in my Facebook Live, joy appears when it will. It doesn't equate to being happy. It's something else altogether. The late Orthodox Christian priest Alexander Schmemann once wrote, the knowledge of the fallen world does not kill joy, which emanates in this world always, constantly, as a bright sorrow. I've been captivated by the phrase, a bright sorrow. All the years since first encountering those words, it captures for me the tension that seems inherent in any honest experience or description of joy, describing joy as an emanation of a bright sorrow is enigmatic, but it seems somehow deeply true. Within the context of our spiritual tradition, the pain and injustice of this broken world will kill many things, but cannot kill joy. As I pondered all this, I wondered why those 
who organized the revised common lectionary, selected this encore story of John right after last week's story of John. Really just two different gospel accounts of the same story. And why would they select this gospel story for Rejoice Sunday? Certainly the emphasis is different between the two accounts of John, but do we really need both of these texts so close to each other? Maybe someone doing that work remembered how quickly we tend to move on, how easy and typical it is for us to ignore the prophets. After all, prophets often rub us the wrong way. They repeat themselves. They won't let things go. They won't let us off the hook. They have seen into the depth of pain and suffering around us such that they will not rest until freedom comes. Spirit has touched them so that they care less about their own daily rounds and more about the propagation of food for the hungry and shelter for the unhoused and sustenance for those who are impoverished and friendship with the outcast and the lonely and dignity and equity for the oppressed and renewal for societies breaking under the weight of shiny, fast things like words and bullets and needles and machines and the siren call of excess. Prophets could give a flip about our respectability politics and are impatient with things that don't matter to the nourishment of human bodies and spirits and are fearless in advocacy against all that does harm. Prophets are a lot, and they're always trying to get up in our business. Maybe the setup of the lectionary is a way to mimic the actual activity of wilderness criers across the ages, the way they show up again and again and again, crying out in hope that someone will finally get the message. This prophet John baptizes with water and points to the one who is coming after, the one more powerful, the one who baptizes with Holy Spirit, the one who is the light of the world. Are we paying attention? Are we willing to stay in the flow of the river of prophecy and grace and mercy long enough to step into a truly new way of being in the world? Are we receiving what John prophesies? The one who is coming with Holy Spirit power, the one coming as light seen by people who walk in darkness, is prophesied in the book of Isaiah. And both of those prophecies were received in times of temptation to idolatry, times of upheaval and danger for the nation of Israel. Just as we experience today, fear 
anxiety, distraction, violence, vulnerability, and discouragement were all part of the picture when Isaiah, the first Isaiah and the third Isaiah prophesied. So much of the wilderness crier's message is a warning and call to repentance. Across the ages, the wilderness criers are always calling for repentance, a call to turn back, calls of danger, calls of warning, calls to stay awake. And yet here and there and now and again, all of a sudden, the prophetic texts and words are punctuated with lines like these, like joy that bubbles up out of nowhere, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in the land of deep darkness, upon them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy for the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken for a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders and he is named. You know what he is named. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. His authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless Peace, he will establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness. And the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the oppressed to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations for I, the Lord, love justice. These ancient words from Isaiah give content to our Advent hope. And they undergird the prophecy of John centuries later. Notice that the promise is liberation, peace, righteousness, justice. Notice that the anointed one comes to set people free so that they might participate in building up, in raising up, in repairing what has been devastated over many generations. And perhaps that's the heart of the matter. John was raised up like the prophet Isaiah as a witness to God and reminds us again and again, Advent after Advent, year after year, and this year, week after week, John reminds us that God is at work that one more powerful is coming to meet us 
in the wildernesses and tensions and broken places of our lives and our world, and that with God's help, we ourselves have a part to play in what God is doing in the world. You and I will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You and I will be given light when the night is long so that we might journey through until the storm passes over and morning comes. And this so that you and I will be set free and given power to participate with God in God's mighty acts of salvation and love and justice and reparation of the devastation of generations. We can be part of God's work in the world. Our time is connected to God's time. Our history is part of God's salvation history. Our lives, even yours and mine, are called to participate in the prophetic work of God's mending and movement toward the divine vision of creation restored in all wholeness. I once wrote, prophetic witness will always cry out in grief over the suffering of innocence, the callous inhumanity of so many in power, the greedy destruction of what is good and true and beautiful. Because a prophet looks upon the world and sees beauty and goodness, love and harmony sees both what is and what can be. To perceive even in or through the pain of the present moment what can be might be described as an emanation of a bright sorrow, a longing for that which is possible. To look deeply into the now and yet perceive one who is coming into the world to enfold and energize us with purposeful lives and with a love that in the final analysis will always win. That might inspire at least an inkling of joy. By God's grace, may it be so. Amen.